Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. So good to see you guys this morning at Life Fellowship. Turn your Bibles to Daniel 11. Guys, we're almost done. This is the second last week in Daniel. My, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad um, because this has been such a great book to, to study. Uh, before I get really deep into my sermon, I want to give two just really uh, big reminders to you. Uh, the first is this. We are having a baptismal service next Sunday. Um, so we've got three people lined up to be baptized. And if you have never followed the Lord and be believers baptism, we want to encourage you to do that. That's one of the most important decisions you can make as a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it shows that you are a Christian. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never had, you've never uh, uh, been obedient to that call for, for Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. We'll have uh, a service at the end of the service next week. So um, you can either contact or uh, talk to me after the service or talk to someone at our guest services, and we'd love to talk with you. Also, this is our, you know, December is the last month of, of the calendar year, and it's always a great giving month for our church. And uh, I just want to encourage you to prayerfully ask God what he's asking you to give, uh, because one of the things that we know is the more that we are faithful with our tithes and offerings, the more we can do to impact the kingdom of God. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, how many of you uh, have ever said, you know, well, hindsight is 2020? Anybody ever say that to you? Yeah, I mean, hindsight is 2020. I say that so many times in life. And it's this idea, it's, a, it's kind of a euphemism that we use in our culture. And the whole idea of that is we go through something in our lives. There's an episode of, of decision-making or behavior that we've gone through. And we, maybe we didn't handle it the right way. Maybe there's things that we wish we would have improved on or done differently. But at the end of that, we say, well, I would have done this thing differently. But you know, hindsight is 2020. Like if I had known the way things would have played out, I would have done things differently in the front end. It's kind of like, how many of you, you know, going back and reevaluating re-value, all the stuff that happened with COVID, you're like, oh, here's what I would do dealing with COVID, Right. Or here's what I would do. Maybe you're saying like, man, if I could do it all over again, man, this is what I would go to school for. I would get this degree, not that degree. Or I would choose this job instead of that job. I would have chosen that house instead of that house. Right? There's, we can go on and on and on. But the, the reality is we can always look back at our lives and say, man, the perspective I have in the past is incredible. Now, what if you could have that same perspective before the event happens. Wouldn't that be amazing? And see, that, that is what we're going to be learning about today in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 is another prophetic vision that Daniel receives. And one of the things that, that we see in Scripture is that God gives us prophecy to help us know that when those moments happen, we know how to be faithful to him. In this passage that we're going to be reading and studying about, Daniel, this is the, the, the last vision that Daniel receives. Uh, it takes up three chapters, 10, 11, and 12. And Dan, uh, Pastor Dan last week kind of did the introduction to this vision when he sees the vision and he's disturbed by the vision and he gets this spiritual uh, you know, visitation from an angel, Gabriel, to explain to him like, hey, listen, I would have come here sooner, but there was this battle that I was in, and, and so, so we see the curtain pulled back, and we see the spiritual battle that we're all in uh, as, we're, as we're pursuing God. But Daniel 11 is the actual prophetic utterance that is explained to Daniel. 
And what is transpires in, in the bulk of chapter 11, verses 2 through 35, is a description of, of, of events, human events, that will transpire about 350 years into the future. Now, that's unbelievable. Now, if, if, you are, if, you're a ner- if you're a Bible nerd, a Bible geek, I've got something for you. We're not, this is a 45-verse passage. We're not going to go through 45 verses. We would be here all day long. But here's what I did for you. I printed out some notes for you. If you want to nerd out later, these are nerd notes, okay? And these nerd notes will help you understand that from verses 2 through 35, all the ways that... Uh, what we call a person by the name of Antiochus uh, Epiphanes IV, fulfilled the prophecies that were prophesied about him 350 years into the future. So we're not going to spend the bulk of our time you know, dissecting those, drawing dots, and explaining what it means by these things. I just want you to know, it is unbelievable how precise these prophecies that Daniel received, and this is one of the things that people, when they read this and realize how it fulfilled itself 350 years in the future, that's why most people are saying, well, hey, Daniel couldn't have been written before, before these events. They're, they're, they're too spot on. And listen, anyone that says that, they have an anti-supernatural bias. There's so much proof that shows that, this, that the book of Daniel was written prior to the events happening. And so what is amazing is you see this uh, and these notes will be on the back two tables when you leave here. I think we have 100 copies printed, so maybe take one per family if you can. But if you, if you want to learn about all the ways that God fulfilled Scripture, it's, it's, in, the, it's in those notes. Uh, I got them from the uh, Bible scholar by the name of Sam Storms. And so if you want to go on his website, he has the fullness of, of the notes. But here's what I think is so important for us to remember, that knowing that these prophecies were predicted it allowed the people of God to be faithful when they were tested. And that, I think, is the important lesson I want us to draw from the te- these, this text this morning, that God prepares us to be faithful through prophecy. God prepares us to be faithful through prophecy. There are going to be times, just like, just like the, the people that received this this, uh, this letter or this, these, these, this revelation from Daniel, they had something with them that helped them to know, what do I do in the future? When the moment comes, how do I handle this? And so what we have here is this, this prophecy that shows us, okay, here's how I handle the situation right now. Listen, all of us, we're, we're in Babylon. This is the whole reason why we're going and doing the studies, that we live in a world that it feels like the tidal wave of darkness, of secularism, humanism, all the other isms you want to talk about are coming upon us. We call the world system Babylon. And if we're going to thrive in Babylon, what that requires of us is to make sure that when those dark times come, that you and I, as followers of Jesus and the people of God, we are faithful. That when the testing comes, we're not going to back down. We're not going to back away. We're not going to shrink back into the background and not stand for Jesus. The whole reason we're doing this series is because we live in a time where we are going to be tested. And some of you are being tested now. Some of you will be tested in the future. But the time of testing is in our lifetimes. And we, I hope and pray that you and I 
the people of this church, the Christians of our generation, that we will be found faithful. And there's a way in which God prepares us to be faithful that we see in this text. And the first, first way he shows us to be faithful is faithful in trust. Faithful in trust. I want, I want to just read uh, briefly uh, the first couple verses in, in, in verse 11, and then we're going to skip down to verse 29. It says, As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him, and now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall, shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, that's Alexander the Great, who shall rule with great dominion, and do as he wills. And it goes into how, uh, how he dies and it breaks up in the, in the, the four different kingdoms. And, and it goes into one of these kingdoms. And, and look, skip down to verse 29 about this Antiochus Epiphanes. And this, this happens right towards the, the, the um, early part of the second century. It says, At the time appointed, he, Antiochus Epiphanes, shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate." He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know God, who know their God, shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. What we just read describes an actual human event that transpired. This king, Antioch Epiphanes IV, goes down to Egypt to try to attack them, to conquer them, and he fails miserably. And he gets humiliated. And on his way back to where his region of, of, or his empire is, he takes out his anger and frustration on the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And he goes in there and starts slaughtering Jews by the thousands. And he goes into the temple and he tears down the altar of God and he, built, he erects a statue to Zeus and starts sacrificing pigs in the holy place an unclean animal. That's what it's described as the abomination of desolation here in this passage. And, and during that time, there was, you know, the Jews just, you know, lie down and just take it. A group of them arose and fought back. The actual um, details of this human event are found in the, in the letters or the books of First and Second Maccabees. And although they are not inspired writings of Scripture, they do describe this time period and how the people of God, the Jewish people, fought back against this kind of attack. But that's exactly what's happening and what they had to do. I love verse 32 because in verse 32, I've, I think is one of the best descriptions of faithfulness in Scripture. Look what it says in verse 32 again. He shall seduce, talking about Antioch, 
or Antiochus, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That phrase right there, underline it in your Bible, stand firm and take action. That is one of the best descriptions, definitions of faithfulness. That when when times of trouble come, I'm going to stand firm and take action. I'm going to trust that God knows what's going on, that I might not. But listen, he is the one I can trust. He is the one that in, 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 in troubled times, when everything is, fall, is, is, is you know, crumbling around me, I don't have to be afraid. I can keep trusting in God. He knows the beginning and the end. And knowing that God knows the future, he knows the beginning and the end, I can trust in him. There's a story in the, book of, in the writings of Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian uh, who lived around, uh, you know, he lived semi around the time of Christ, but he was taken captive by the Romans in the late first century, and he wrote this incredible history of the Jewish people. You know, there's things, there's details in Josephus's writings that we do not find in Scripture. And some people want to, you know, uh, will say, well, he's not, it's not like he's gospel or inspired, but there's a lot of interesting details and stories that he tells, many of which have been proven to be true. And um, I, there's a story in Josephus's writings that describe the kind of faith and trust that these, these prophetic writings had on the Jewish people in between this intertestamental period. Because there was going to be a time, the reason why this is so important is that after about 400 BC, God was silent. And, and what I mean by this, there's no prophets coming to the people. There was no, nobody writing scripture. And it was this time period where they had to depend on the word of God to help them to figure out, what do I do in this moment? And there is this story that he has about the, the coming of power that uh, Alexander the Great had. And knowing that he was you know, conquering the known world and he makes his way into the Middle East and, and he's attacking, Alexander is attacking, I think it was Tyre or Damascus, one of these cities north of Jerusalem. And he calls on Jerusalem to say, hey, I'm low on supplies. Can you guys give me some supplies? And, and Jadis, the high priest of the Jewish people at that time, said, we're not going to help you because we, we, we've made a verbal agreement with, with, our, with this, the, the king of Persia that we would not help anyone else. And so that really ticks Alexander the Great off. And uh, so this is next city. He, con- he goes all the way down to Egypt and attacks them. And then on his way back, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's pretty upset. And the day before Alexander the Great arrives, Jadis, the high priest, has a, has a dream where God tells him, I want you to get fully dressed in your high priest outfit. I want all the, all the, 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 the Levitical priesthood to dress in white, line the streets, and welcome Alexander the Great. Now you're thinking, this guy doesn't like us. This guy, you know, we've, we've ticked him off. This is, you know, you're usually thinking about you know, closing the doors, Barring him, you know, trying to fight back whatever you can, but they listen to what God says, and they're like, okay. And that, not only that, they had the book of Daniel. They knew that, that Alexander the Great was that third beast. They knew that was the third level, that Greece. They knew that he was supposed to, to be in charge. And so when Alexander the Great comes with his army the next day, ready to attack Jerusalem, their Jadis is greeting him on the road with, the, with a line of, of, of priests on either side of the road, dressed in white, to welcome him, gates wide open. This was not what he was expecting. And Alexander the Great gets off of his horse, 
goes down to Jas the high priest, embraces him, and basically says this, before I began this military campaign, I had a dream that I would meet a man dressed exactly like you. And therefore, I'm not going to hurt you. Jadis the high priest brings uh, Alexander into the city of Jerusalem, opens up the scroll of Daniel chapter 8 and says, points to the passage and says, you were prophesied to do this. Man, you talk about confidence. You talk about trust. It would go against every human inclination to be like, we got to, we gotta, you know, protect ourselves, close the gates. No, they trusted God. And because they trusted God, Alexander the Great blesses them and says, listen, you can worship as you want. Just, you know, just consider yourself under my, uh, under my authority. And he let the Jews worship as they wanted until this time. That we're just seeing this time of testing. But, but you see here why the prophecies are so important. Because there are times that we're trying to figure out, what do I do? What do I do in this moment? What do I do when, when times come when I just am not sure? God is the one who's given us his word over and over and over again. What we have seen from the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over and over again, when they were in times of trouble, when there were times of testing, what did they turn to? They turned to the word of God. And when you and I face times when, faith, when our faithfulness is tested, we have been given the word of God to help guide us to know this is, where, this is what I do. This is how I'm going to respond. This is where I'm going to go. Are we doing that? Are you and I turning to the word of God with a sense of, listen, if it's dark out there and I need help, and if we're not turning to the word of God, you're leaning on your gut, you're leaning on social media, I don't know what you're leaning on, but it's a false sense of security that you're trusting in. I'm not sure, I, I would love for you guys to do this exercise. Do this exercise this week with, or, or for me, all right? And then tell me how it goes. But this week, just one time, one day, what I want you to do is I want you to leave your house without your phone. Some of you are like, <gasps> you know, I had this, I, someone told me that they did this the other day, and I, I, I was like, that's so cool. Like, remember when we used to do that? Like, I remember being 16 years old. My brother was 18. We drove from Pennsylvania to Michigan to go see my dad preach at some youth conference and, you know, drove in our beat-up car, you know, 12 hours, no cell phone. And I'm thinking, I, I, I don't drive to Lowe's without my cell phone, right? Have you ever been in the car and you don't have your cell phone? What do you do? You're like... You know, I'm just turning around like, I, I hope I know how to get home. I don't have the home button on my maps. I'm like, I'm freaking out right now, right? We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. Like, I need my phone. So I brought this up to my wife a couple weeks ago. I was like, hey, it was Friday. We're about to do our date day. I was like, hey, let's, got an idea. Let's go out and let's leave our phones at home. She said, you can leave your phone at home. <laughs> She's like, if we're going shopping, I got to check prices. I'm not buying blind. But, but, you know, just, just imagine, imagine leaving your home. There's this sense of security. There's a sense of, if I need something, I got my phone with me. Listen, how much more do we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God to be with us? Be faithful and trusting in Him to get you through the dark times. You will be tempted to trust in other people in other ways, but do not listen 
Do not go in that direction. Trust in God and his word. That's why he's given it to us. So we've got to be faithful in trust. The second way that we need to be faithful in is faithful in worship. If God prepares us to be faithful through this prof- through prophecies, we need to be faithful in worship. Now there's something, notice I stopped at verse 35. And, and what we see later on in the it, you know, chapter 11, verses 36 through 45, is a description of another king. Now there is some debate on who this king is. Some people still believe, well, it's probably still is Antiochus Epiphanes, but there's no doubt, most Bible scholars will tell you that it is pinpoint accurate from verses 2 through 35, which that handout details. But once you get to verse 36, it's very hard to fit Antiochus Epiphanes in that passage. Uh, what, what, and there's different theories about this. It could be referring to Herod the Great, it could be referring to Rome, or it could be referring to, to a future Antichrist figure. But the main point is there's, there's this description of another king. And I want to read it for you, uh, at least verses 36 through 39. It says, "...in the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished." For what is decreed shall be done. Now notice there's this description of this king who exalts himself, who attacks God. And it's this idea, what's so interesting about this description at the end of verse 36 is that it is decreed. It's like God allows these human rulers to be in charge that, that are against him. It's decreed. And this is one of those hard things like, oh God, God, why do you allow this? And, and, and one of the ways I think we need to trust in God is that God, even though God, we know God is sovereign, God is Lord, God is, God is over it all, he still does not make everyone worship him and serve him. And he allows people to rise up as a time of testing for all of humanity and even God's people. But look what else it says. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know who he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor, and he shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. And there's other descriptions of what he shall do from verses 40 through 45. But the point I want to make with this passage is this. It's very hard to find someone that's like, who, who's this talking about? But here's what we know. If God is sure to give descriptions of a king, a real king, Antiochus Epiphanes from verses 2 through 35, we can be certain that this description will be fulfilled. Whether it's in the future or, or it's, it's in, fulfilled in some other way. That this is, the, I, it's hard for me to explain how this is fulfilled, but we know this. I want you to take a look at the type of king that is mentioned here. Because what we have seen throughout the last few visions, starting in chapter 7, we have these visions, right, of, of the beast, right, the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. We have this vision of this little horn in chapter 8. And we have this vision of another prince in Daniel chapter 9. And here we have another vision of another king. And here's what is so fascinating. 
is that all of these wicked kings that are anti-Christ types share common characteristics throughout the, throughout the prophecies. I want you to see this. We're going to have a, a, a description of this, these, the characteristics of this false wicked king or kings, all right? If you want to take a picture of this, I wish we had the time to look at every single one of these verses. I would encourage you to go home and do that. But one of the common characteristics we see in each of these visions is this, that this leader self-exalts himself. That there will be a leader that says, hey, I am above everyone and everything. I'm even greater than God. And, and, and that is what we will see, common characteristics of leaders. And this is something that we have to be aware of. This is not just something like, well, that was a nice little Bible story. Listen, it happens today. If you were to ask people, citizens of North Korea, they would tell you, this is happening today. Okay? This will happen in the future. And what I want you to see is the, 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 the typological pattern we see of Antichrist figures that will stand up and say, don't follow God, you follow me. And there will always be those people. So the first thing we see is self-exaltation of the leader. The next thing we see is they attack God's people and they, they attempt to stop the worship of God. This happens over and over and over again. They're okay with a lot of religions, but not the religion of Jesus. You can, you can worship all different kinds of religions. You can mention any kind of other deity names, but don't you dare mention the name of Jesus. You know why? Because that's the real authority. That's the real threat to them. And so there's this attack. If you see this common characteristic of these people, they always attack the, the people of, of the one true God, the followers of them, and they stop, try to stop the worship of God. Thirdly, they set up an abomination of desolation. This is mentioned over at least three times in this passage, the abomination of desolation. And what that term means is the abomination of desolation is simply, uh, in this passage, it was when Antiochus sets up a statue of Zeus in the, in, the, in the temple and sacrifices pigs. The whole idea of abomination of desolation is it is a grotesque, um, you know, defiled, you know, really over-the-top sinful acts. That word is used to describe over-the-top deep sinful behavior or idolatry. When, when, when people would sacrifice their children to the God of Moloch in the Old Testament, it was called an abomination. This is this kind of thing that is just so over-the-top of, of against the ways of God. And then the abomination of desolation. Desolation is this idea of of shame and shock and disbelief, like, oh, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that that happened. Is it, have, you ever, has that, have you ever heard news about something? You're like, oh, I, I cannot believe that happened to that person. And so the whole idea is that whoever the, these leaders are, they will push the boundaries of evil and wickedness to make sure that the ways of God are trampled on. That's what they do. And then lastly, what we see and what we know is that God will eventually bring justice upon them. Every single one of them meets their end. Every single one. Their time of reign is only for a brief period. Look at verse 45 in, verse, in chapter 11. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. See, 
the reason I bring this up is that, that you and I are going to be tested. And to know the patterns of these types of human leaders, what you and I can do is when we are walking in our world and in our life, when a leader like this shows up on the scene, we can identify them and say, I will not follow them. I will not trust in them. I will not worship them. Because make no mistake, what these leaders want is, is worship. They want allegiance to them and to them alone. And this will be tested. This will be tested in all of our lives. That who will we bend the knee to? There will be times of testing in our lives. Again, I don't know how, how this will play out in each of us, whether it will happen soon or whether it will happen years later, but I do know this. This is a very real possibility for, for us to see in our lifetime. Very real. And we will be challenged to say, how will I respond? There's a great movie that came out a number of years ago. It's called Silence. It's a movie, it's, it's, it wasn't a blockbuster, it wasn't, uh, you know, in a lot, of, a lot of screens, it wasn't heavily promoted as a Hollywood, you know, one of these big budget movies. It was a movie written by Martin Scorsese from the book that was written, and I read the book and I've watched the movie, it's a fascinating movie. I would encourage you to watch it, it's very, um, it's about a true story about these, these young Jesuit missionaries that hear about their professor, their teacher, their mentor, going as a missionary to the island of Japan in the 17th century, and they hear that their professor mentor has apostatized. And so what they ha- when they hear this, they both are, these young missionaries are like, man, we want to, we want believe, we don't believe it, we've got to rescue him. There's no way that, that he really did this. And so they go undercover and they try to get into Japan. It's very hard to be a Christian and brutal persecution. And there, there's the story of the movie is these two young missionaries that go there with this sense of, I will never apostatize, I will never betray Jesus, and they are put in the most horrendous circumstances that a human being is put in, and they have to make a choice. And their choice is not as easy as it sounds. And I share that, I won't tell you what happens, okay? But, but that story, I watched that movie and there's, there's a moment at, after the movie ended, and I was watching with my boys a little while ago, and, and we had this conversation like, man, what would you do if you were in their, their position? It's really easy for us on a Sunday morning in church to say, you know what? I'm faithful in worship. But there will be times when your faithfulness to worship Christ alone will be tested. And you've got to ask yourself how you will handle that when that moment comes. And listen, it's not just about how wicked and evil that person is. There's a reason why we can still bend the knee and we should be faithful in worshiping Jesus. I want to, I want to ask you to put the uh, screen of these characteristics because here's, as I was studying this uh, this week and seeing these characteristics, something just really stood out to me and that is this. This, this, this behavior is the antithesis of who Jesus is and what he did. See, Jesus did not come ask, self-exalting himself. He came as a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, right? We see that, that, that you know, this person doesn't attack us. Jesus doesn't attack. He actually was willing to be attacked. 
And it actually paves the way for worship to happen. Never, never you know, forces anyone to bend the knee. Then instead of sets up an abomination of desolation, that sin that makes us go, <gasps> Jesus is the one that took your abomination. See, all of us, if we were to have our, the sins of our life written out, there's not a one of us that would go, they did, that. they did what? And Jesus doesn't set up an abomination of desolation. He takes our abomination of desolation. And lastly, Jesus was willing to take the justice, to take the death, the penalty of death that you and I deserve in order to give us his righteousness and his resurrection. The reason why we can be faithful in worship is because God has been so faithful to us through Jesus that Jesus' love for you is so great. His love for you is so great. Why would I choose anyone else? And that's why we can be faithful in worship. Lastly, we need to be faithful in trust, faithful in worship, and then faithful in hope. Faithful in hope. This, this vision ends in the first three verses of chapter 12. It says this, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. Now, if you were here last week, you remember Dan talking about these, these angelic beings. They have different uh, you know, authorities, and, and it's kind of like uh, the way the military works. Michael's what an archangel, and he's got authority, and he's been given special uh, protection you know, assignment over the people of Israel. And so it says that this is what's going to happen. That, and there's, look at the middle of first one. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So not only do we, are we faithful in trust and faithful in hope, but we are faithful, or faithful, faithful in worship, but faithful in hope. That we are faithful in hope. What I love about how this prophecy ends is that it shows us this picture of how we, you and I, can have hope today. Now, now notice, it goes, it goes from the deepest, darkest pronouncement to the, greatest, to the greatest promise. Look again what it says. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Does that sound good? How many were like, yeah, sign me up for that, Ben. I hope I'm around for that. No, that sounds, that sounds dark. That sounds difficult. That's the time. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to be alive during that time. Because it sounds really hard. But I know this, that in that dark time, that is the darkest has ever been in the history of the world, there is a reason to have hope. And you know why that is? Because Jesus promises us, what God promises his people, is deliverance and resurrection. He, delivers us, he promises us deliverance and resurrection. Look what, again what it says in the end of in verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered 
everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life. Isn't it amazing that the promise of deliverance and resurrection has been the constant theme of redemption throughout the grand narrative of Scripture? It hasn't been, it's not like, it's not like Jesus came along and said, hey, let's try something new. There's this promise that God gives to his people. It says, it's going to be dark. It's going to be difficult. You maybe feel overwhelmed and defeated. But here's what I know, that there will be a day of deliverance and resurrection. Amen? That is our promise. And that is our hope. So yes, there will be dark times. Our faithfulness will be tested. Will we stand firm and take action when that time comes, when our time comes? Here's what I know. That the, that we, and, and I feel like we've been saying these things week after week, but maybe it's just because we need to keep hearing it. That in the midst of what we feel today, we can have great hope. You know, this past week, I, I was at Bruce in Pines Life Community, and we had, Liz and I had such a great time visiting with their life. We've loved all of our life, all the life communities we've been to. Every single one asks us, now, who's your favorite group, you know? And we tell every group they're our favorite, you know? But it's been fun to really spend time with, with a lot of you and, and get to know you a little bit more. And, and, uh, but there was this moment during, the, during the, the time we spent with them, we were talking a lot about this. We were talking about, you know, the Babylon that we see coming into our world. And, and those of us who are maybe a little bit older, we see how our, our culture has been changing. And, and we, we, we look at it, we think about our children and our grandchildren. And we're concerned about, you know, what are we going to do to make sure that, that they continue on in their faith? And let me just give a quick little plug. The first sermon series that we're going to be doing in January is about faithfulness to the next generation. How do we lead our children in the next generation to follow Jesus. We're going to be in De Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7. We're going to spend eight weeks there. So I hope that you will make a commitment to be a part of that series uh, in January, in February. But as we're talking about this, and, and it would not get turned into a gripe session, but you could feel the gravity. And has that ever happened to you where you look around the world and there's this gravity of, man, these are difficult times and we don't see it getting any better. And it was in that moment, probably just the Holy Spirit, it, it, you know, through me, I just, as I sensed just this feeling of heaviness, I just stopped and said, yeah, but you know what? We have the power and the authority of Jesus. It was like, it was just like this light filled the room. Like, yes, we have the authority and the power of Jesus. Do you believe that? We have the promise of deliverance in resurrection. Do you believe it? Yes. See, that's what we have to remember, that though there might be dark times, though there might be things that happen in our world that we feel overwhelmed by the darkness, that there will never be a time as, as like we're living in right now. I don't know if that time is coming or, if it's, or, or, or when it will be, but I do know this, that in the midst of that darkness, you and I can have hope. We can have hope. You can have hope today. If you're discouraged about your kids, you can have hope. If you're discouraged about what's going on in our world, you can have hope. If you're discouraged about the future of our nation, you can have hope. 
you can always have hope according to the promises of Jesus. And I, I hope that we leave here today with that sense of hope. But here's what I also know this, that this hope is only for those, as it says, his name found written in the book. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you do not have that hope and you do not have that guarantee of deliverance and resurrection. In fact, your, your resurrection is not going to be to everlasting life, but you have a promise in the future to, to, to the, a, a resurrection of shame and everlasting contempt. This, this, these are heavy words, and I, and I cannot help but just invite everyone here, if you are not certain that you have a relationship with Jesus, that if you were to die today, that you would not be in the presence of God, I appeal to you, I beseech you, that you would consider placing your faith and your trust in him. Understanding that you are a sinner. Understanding that we deserve death, the penalty for our sins. Yet Jesus came to pay that penalty, to, to be our sacrifice in our place so that we might have his righteousness, his deliverance, his resurrection. And I, and I don't know if, if that, if you, if you, whether you, you know you have it or not, today is the day I want to encourage you to talk to someone, to place your faith in Jesus alone and not let another day go by that you put your faith and your trust and your hope in someone else or something else. I hope today is the day of salvation for you. But for those of us whose names are written in the, in, in the book, as it says there, may we remember the hope that we have. Every environment we walk into, we have hope. Three questions, and then we're done. Number one, what do you need to trust in God with now, knowing that he knows the future? What do you need to trust in God with now, knowing he knows the future? This, this event this, that's described in Daniel chapter 11, especially with Antiochus Epiphanes, it's really fascinating when you look and see how detailed of a prophecy was fulfilled. And there's going to be moments in our life that feel uncertain, but here's what I, it should give us comfort, is that God knows what tomorrow brings. There's something in your life right now that God is saying, you got to trust me with that. you got to trust me with that relationship. you got to trust me with that decision. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Be patient. Don't, don't move. Don't run. Trust me. God knows the future. We don't have to freak out. What do you need to trust him with today? Number two, how does knowing the future give you hope for today? How does knowing the future give you hope for today? What is it, the hope that you need to be walking in every single day, when you wake up, where's your hope? Where is your joy? What are you saying? We need to remind ourselves every day there is a deliverance and a resurrection because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we should, our emotions shouldn't be like this, oh, discouraged, defeated. No, no, no. It's always hope. Always hope. Always hope. And then number three, are you prepared to be faithful? Are you prepared to be faithful? Think about that definition I gave you that, that, that Daniel describes in chapter 11, verse 30, 32. Stand firm and take action. 
what is it? What, is it something in your school? Is it something with your group of friends? Is it something happening in your workplace? Something in your own home? Where God's saying, I want you to stand firm and take action. Be faithful to me. Be faithful to me in trusting me. Be faithful to me in worshiping me. Be faithful to me in your hope. If we are faithful to God, we've got a bright future. We have a bright future.